Welcome, everyone. Of course, this is Luis Antonio Pichardo, the founder and executive director of Distill Arts. And we are here with our uh, latest episode of the Art Block podcast. I'm joined, of course, as always, uh, by our master teaching artist, Abraham Jaramillo. Say what's up, Abraham. What's up? And we're also joined today by one of the OGs, one of the original mentorship program students back when the Arts Mentorship Program was the only program, but the main program of Distill Arts. Of course, now the Arts Mentorship Program, for those of you that might not know, it is called the Poet Artist Development Program. But that said, you know, Brian Andrade is also known as Astro Papi, a Latinx queer creative and spiritual practitioner based in the NYC and New Jersey area. He has a full-time business as a psychic medium, metaphysical counselor, and espiritista. His work centers on connecting with ancestors, nature, the cosmos, and the stars for healing, wholeness, clarity, and empowerment. And I do have to say, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, we we were just talking about how it's been uh, just over 10 years since uh, you joined our program. And you know, Brian, I have to tell you that I, I bring you up a lot, you know, uh, just kind of like so you so you're aware uh, because, you know, you your growth and and in so many ways, you know, from like your personal growth to your, uh, you know, academic growth, spiritual growth, literary growth. A lot of those things I feel like, you know, kind of like watching my son, you know, um, you you have made me proud time and time again so i really am happy to have you here on the podcast and i'm really really grateful for the fact that you know you are uh thriving you know as far as i can see so uh welcome brian welcome astro papi <laughs> yo thank you i'm happy to be here thank you luis and what's up abraham i'm also glad to see abraham still here I'm glad to see a lot of people are like are still a part of DSTL arts. Like the community is definitely tight, like, and it's also very like un unified. So even though I'm still in this other side of the coast, like definitely still part of the group, still part of the vibe, still part of the collective with the still arts. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember, you know, very clearly we had the art show at um this coffee shop that doesn't even exist anymore in Echo Park. And that was our very first event that we had officially as Distill Arts. And, you know, we were having this little art show kind of like as a fundraiser. And I remember you walked up and you started asking questions about poetry. And that's when you and I kicked that up, kicked, kicked off our, our relationship, um, our mentorship. And, you know, it's it's been pretty cool. Uh, just like I said, seeing you grow. and. I guess to maybe kick off the the more like, you know, casual interview that we do here, uh, yeah. you know, what what are you up to currently? And, you know, what are your what are your thoughts about just all this time that has passed since you joined Distill Arts? So if I was to backtrack a little bit, I remember I joined Distill Arts when I was in my undergrad. So I want to say I was in my late teens about to enter my early 20s, super young. And honestly, like, I felt like just a regular inner city kid who grew up and was raised in LA by immigrant parents where the only real narrative for me was like survival and playing it small, playing it small when it came to go to school, get a degree. I don't even really know what I want to do. There was no you know, question about individuality or any questions about or any resources really given to our our people or the narrative that we were ever fed, which is like you have a choice or these are different possibilities, different these are different outcomes. And this was something that isn't like to put onto one person. We were raised, I was raised in the school where it was just like as long as you make it into college, like you survive something here. So like good for you. But I really felt like I was just like thrown like from one place to another. I was a kid who was like, I guess, academically okay. Like I had pretty good academics, but I never really felt like I was fulfilled. I was also going to school, like not really knowing what I was studying, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And, and honestly, internally, I felt like a void. I felt like 
okay, I have good, I have good grades. Like I look good on paper, my resume, I've done internships and all of that. I look good, but I felt like there was something within me that was lacking. And I never was told very early on in life, like you have a voice and your voice matters and your words have power. So when I went into the still arts, I, I feel like sometimes we, as people, we kind of seek things out without knowing why we seek it out. And I felt like I was seeking some type of maybe outlet or medium to express what I was feeling or express myself. And growing up being an inner city kid, like the, the only thing was like, yo, time is money, like get a good job, like get good grades. Like, you know, I went to public school, like teachers are overworked, teachers are overstaffed. I grew up like, you know, with the teachers who were like not given the best resources. They had big classes, a lot of like students. They didn't have all these resources. I grew up with parents who were just trying to get by. That was their narrative. They were immigrants. Like they already worked freaking hard to get here and they didn't they don't have all these resources that other people had. So then I never thought of being a creative or even what I do now as a full-time spiritual practitioner as a possibility. And I I went into distilled arts just feeling like I was just going to have a regular life, um, get by. I think my narrative was just to get by. And there was no narrative of thriving. There was no narrative of joy. There was no narrative of happiness or fulfillment. It was just, I would get by. I would get a job. I would pay off my student loans. I would live somewhere. And that was it. And I would be hush hush. But I felt like my spirit was yearning for something more. And when I went to distilled arts, when... I learned about connecting with my voice through poetry, um, which we worked on one-on-one. -on -one. That's where I realized like, I do have a lot to say and my words matter. But what you also learn is like, the, the more you realize that your own words matter, everybody else's words matter too. And I, I it goes into so many different layers where I realized like, wow, like community matters. Like the voice of community matters. The voice of people who I'm just meeting right then and there matters. And I want to ask people questions when I first meet them, like questions that really matter, questions that really cut through the point, questions that are very visceral. Like I want to talk spirit to spirit. I don't want to talk like just based on societal expectations next to societal expectations. So I guess like the still arts gave me a foundation of understanding the power of words. And even within my own practice, like I do very intimate work. Like I am a full-time spiritual practitioner. A lot of people think tarot readings or like spiritual readings, and not just don't do tarot, um, is basically where it's fortune telling or it's like, this is what's going to happen to you on a rainy day in March. And it's really more so like just energetic advice and very much like energetic guidance. And I feel like if I wouldn't have known the power of voice, the power of words, I don't think I would be doing this or I don't think I would be comfortable to do anything like that. I would have imposter syndrome. I wouldn't be ready. And I also would not have the compassion to facilitate what I do because people come in very vulnerable. People come in very visceral. People come in really wanting to just be heard. And also some people have never been given that platform or that intimate space to be like your voice matters. And to me, poetry also felt like that. So I feel like poetry is very spiritual and I feel like poetry was my bridge to spirituality in all honesty. And I could say like, honestly, like creativity, the arts and like spirituality, I, I would say they're like twins. Like you can have one without the other. And I feel like both of them are bridges to one another. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. So, so I see that a lot of your, psychic power it's understanding the needs of people to be heard right like and just to think about it, like i think intuition is a big part of of that kind of of world i guess and my question is like how do you find that balance of intuition because i don't know in my case my intuition sometimes is not correct so i have that kind of like oops i shouldn't have listen to myself this time, right? So how do you find this balance where like, okay, this time I should listen to my intuition, right? I feel like it really goes into the same thing with like art um, or even writing, or I guess like 
even if anybody's watching this and they they might feel like they're not an artist, I would say like cooking. Like if you're somebody who's good at cooking, you just know, like you know, this is how much I'm supposed to do, or you feel called, like you know what, like for for painting, like let me try this layout, or let me try this type of stroke of painting, or let me try these colors over writing. Like out of nowhere, you're trying to write something and you're trying to make it look good or sound good. But out of nowhere, this flow comes in. Like, you're just like, yo, like, I just feel like saying this or I feel like doing this or with painting. It's like, you'll just feel like I just am supposed to go in this direction. Or for anything I think that anybody loves, when it gets you into this mental state where it's like your mind starts to flow a little bit and it gives you this calmness, you know that's your intuition because it almost feels like a guidance system inside of you. I guess it's different from judgment and it takes time. I would say like for me, like poetry was what helped me really connect to my intuition because there were times where I would write stuff that honestly, like I was afraid of, or I was just like, I'm not sharing this with anybody or it, it, it was just dicey. And I just felt like, yo, like this cannot be me. And I know that there's the conversations of like poetry and one day, and I believe it was Federico Garcia Lorca who talks about that, um, if I'm not mistaken where Duende is like, there's almost like a hidden voice when you're writing. It's almost like something bigger than you comes in or like a flow comes in you. And I would say like, that's what intuition is. It's like a flow in you where it's like, even if you don't want to do something, you just feel called to do it. Or even if you're uncomfortable with doing something, you know that you're supposed to do it and you'll feel something within you. I guess it's like a ringing in your ear or like a pulse in your body and you also will fear the fear or the doubt or the mind being like, nah, nah. And you'll feel it trying to stomach it down. And you'll feel intuition being like, hold up. Like, so it's like almost two voices. Like, I would say, um, and if I'm going too many directions, y'all can let me know. It reminds me of like the movie with Disney. The I think it's called Inside Out, where like you have right. like this character who has like different voices, like anger, fear, um, sadness, happiness. I feel like it's the same thing. Like, we have an, an internal guidance system and there's like the judgmental mind. And then there's the mind that's vulnerable and raw and intuitive. And I feel like those two be fighting sometimes. And it's like, sometimes the intuition really do be the one that we got to listen to. There you go. That's some good advice. Like, cause I, I mean, I, I definitely remember having moments in my own uh, journey, writing poetry where I was like, you know, I, I'm I'm nervous to say things this way, but in the end, I kind of would cave in because I realized that the writing itself, it was really more for me, right? It was really me mm -hmm. just trying to build my own self up so that I didn't feel as depressed as I did at the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's, I think, a, maybe ties in a little bit to what you're saying about the healing process of, of art. Yeah. And I, for sure, you know, going back to when you were in the program, I remember, you know, when you lost your dad and how Human Shells in particular, your second chapbook with us came to be. And I, for me personally, this is actually one of my, one of my favorite designs that I did for, for your chapbooks, you know. I don't like every time we go to book fairs and everything like that, people will always mm -hmm. stop and look into that one. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, interesting. And it's, I mean, it's you know, full of poetry that you wrote during a time period where I could sense that you're really exploring something different within yourself, something deeper. Um, reflecting back on it now, like eight years later, since this was published, you know, what what do you think about it? You know, have you had a chance to actually review some of your old work from then? I I definitely have to reread some stuff, but um I, I just feel really proud of myself to be honest. I feel really grateful and I feel really grateful that you did that design for me because I I would always try to write that design. I would always try to do it in poetry where I would have visions um, and I feel like that happens to a lot of artists. Like we get visions of what we're supposed to make, whether that's photographers, videographers, painters, whatever it is you like, yo, you'll get a vision. You're like, yo, I'm supposed to do things like this. Mm -hmm. And I had a vision and I would never understand what it was. And it was a skull and there were like colors coming out of it. And I think that when I needed a design for the chapbook that came to me and that chapbook really was about trying to understand the grief of losing my dad when, you know, I didn't have full closure with them and our personal relationship. And 
I think that writing was sort of like this bridge where I was trying to connect to the other side without knowing that I was doing it. I was just kind of vibing. I was just like, okay, like I at least want to explore like what does grief mean? What does the mystery behind losing somebody who you love, who has crossed over to the other side mean? And it was again through writing where I started to really pick up on things that I would never be able to have those breakthroughs just through thinking it out alone. And when I look at that design, like you definitely, I, I'm so grateful that you made that design for me because I look at that and I'm like, you visually described like what I guess was trying to be channeled to me for a long time, which is like, um, there's no endings. Like it's, it's, there's the, the, the color still there. So the, the skull having the color steaming out or bursting out to me, that says like, there's still so much life in our connections to our ancestors, in our connections to the other side and to the other side, there's so much life too. And, you know, I'm grateful to to have Mexican heritage because we really do bring color to honoring our ancestors, honoring the other side. And I, I have gratitude for that. But yeah, like I, I look at like writing and I really, really am grateful because I feel like that was my bridge into mediumship. Like I would sometimes write and this doesn't sound crazy, I would start hearing voices and I would hear the voices telling me what to write. And I was like, okay, this is starting to get weird. But then I started doing research and in a lot of different cultures, such as in ancient Egypt or in ancient Greece, they had what we would call scribes. Scribes were people who would write down channeled messages. And I'm sure that that was in other spaces too and in other, other cultures and identities and like just ways of life. But I don't know, like something about hearing that in history where it was archived made me realize like, oh, this is what I'm doing. And this is probably what a lot of people do and they don't even know. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, working with you and, and really watching that progression early on, you know, from uh, Expel, you know, your very first one to then Human Shells and then Tongues and Tropics. I started actually to get a little bit worried that you were emulating my style of poetry a little too much, mm. um, you know, and I began to worry like, oh, you know, I don't, I hope I'm not like negatively influencing your growth, you know, because I didn't want you to feel like you had to write the way that I write. So my question for you is, you know, at what point did you start to feel like your approach to poetry was your own approach and not something that, you know, was informed by anyone else well i feel like we all have influences and we also have people when we first start out with writing or painting or any type of creative medium we all got people who we, we vibe with like who we honor what they do and for me i liked your work and i i, I like that's why i wanted to like you know have you as a mentor and there were other writers who were alive, other writers who were not alive, who whose writing I liked, whose, I guess, like imagery I was inspired by, whose style I was inspired by. I really like the way you write in terms of the style, the way things are, are short like a breath. I felt like, yo, like that really highlights the importance of what really matters. Sometimes less is more. And I really resonated with that. So I guess that I, I would say to anybody who's watching this who sometimes feels like, okay, maybe I'm copying too much of a certain style. I think that that's okay because mm. that's the beginning. That's the beginning is to play with things. The beginning is to be like, almost like a kid, right? Kids will look at adults and be like, oh, um, you're, you're cooking. I want to learn how to cook. I want to copy what you're doing. Like, and it, when we're, we're creative, like we're, we're allowing that inner child to come forward. So I feel like that's normal in all honesty to do, but there comes a point where your work leads you to where it's supposed to lead you. I really think that art is shamanic. I think that writing is shamanic and I'm going to advocate all the way for that. Like I'm a strict stance on that. Like writing is shamanic. Some people will say it gets you to your subconscious. I would say what's the difference. But what I really feel like is that writing is this bridge into your inner world, to your inner universes. And I think that there comes a point where you, I was playing around with different styles. I was really fond of the way you wrote again with with the with the placements of words mm -hmm. with the way the structures were with the line breaks but out of nowhere I think that my style just came in through just digging 
And when I say digging, it was like through everything I wrote through every time I invested in my creativity, I found more and more of something locked within me, which was my own voice and my own style. <laughs> finding somebody else, I mean, finding one's voice is always a tricky way of basically evolving or growing, right? Because it's when we start looking at people's work, it's like we do our parents. How do they do things? And then that's a mm -hmm. time in our life where we have to see how I'm going to do my thing, right? And talking about that, like, I wanted to know, like, what do you think about psychics? Do you think psychics are born or do you think psychics mm. are created or or basically something that you can learn? Is it a learned thing or is it a something you are born with, like? Yo, that's a juicy question. I know. <laughs> that's a juicy question because I'm going to give the part of me that wants to give a neutral answer and I'm going to give the part of me that doesn't feel so neutral about this. So it doesn't have to be one or the other one. Yeah, I'm going I'm to try, try to play both sides and then I'm going to see how I feel like in the middle. Like I would say straight up, my first thought is like, yes, like everybody has intuition. Everybody has the ability to feel energy. I just think that we haven't been socialized, especially in a Western world, to really value what energy is, to even value how we feel, to value what we think. And we think that feeling is a bad thing, but feeling is a sense. And we use the word sensitive, sensitivity with a lot of negativity, but to sense, it's like having a spider sense. Like when Spider-Man was having a spider sense, he was having a psychic sense. And it's like, that's what that is. And We have been so conditioned in our society to numb that down or to break that out of kids. Kids are naturally very intuitive. Kids know when you're lying to them. Kids are so attentive to little things such as like a, a change of glare in your eyes or a demeanor in your tone that just changes in its pitch or a slight disinterest or this vagueness in your words. And they'll call you out. Kids are so attentive to calling people out. So there was a time and place where We were all very, very strongly intuitive, but we have been conditioned to society to fit in, to fit into a certain mold. We were told what is important and what's not important, and we were given a value system. So the older we get, the more we kind of have been conditioned to gaslight ourselves, and that's part of socialization to fit into the mold. So then I guess intuition starts to get dumbed down, and there comes a point where It, it, it either it either like stays or people will plaster it over and hey I, I wasn't always intuitive like I could tell you that straight up like it took me time to reconnect with this but with that said I also feel like there's some people who innately just have it like very strongly with them and even like when they try to like bring it down you can't you can't shut it up like I've tried that and I was always very uncomfortable with my spirituality. I don't think I ever had the words for it. I, I like even when I was younger, I was always perceptive. I would always feel a lot, but I would never talk about it because I wasn't raised to think that that's good. I mean, I was raised religious, so I was told like, if you see anything that isn't like our notion of what Jesus is, then and I say that to say like, um, I think that there's so much to Jesus that people like kind of missed the point on. And I definitely believe that Jesus is a prophet and has a lot of great things to teach. But people can sometimes take the, like a one, oh, I guess a one-way image or a one-way street of what it means to connect with them. But with that said, like, I was basically told if it's not what social conditioning of religion tells you, then it's not real. So I shut it down. But I feel like eventually there came a point where it came back up very strongly. And it was when I moved to New York and I was by myself and I didn't know anybody where my intuition just flooded me. And I was like, damn, I can't, I can't, I can't unsee this. I can't unhear this. And it would be where every time I didn't listen to it, things would just not go in my direction or in my way. And every time I did listen to it, things would work out in my favor. So it became something where I don't know. I feel like some people do have a calling where if you don't do it, like you feel disaligned. And I would say that that's not just for psychics. That's for everybody. Like if your calling is to be a social worker, you'll feel it from the beginning. There's a reason why um, social workers have like, you know, a lot of compassion. And it's because maybe when they were young, 
They grew up with certain difficulties that gave them so much of a strong compassion to be able to work with these people. Or if you're called to be a health trainer, there's always a story behind why somebody chose a health journey to begin with. Maybe it was to prevent something, or maybe it was because they saw somebody sick when they were younger. It's like, I feel like everybody has a purpose and everybody definitely has like uh, a thing that they're supposed to accomplish in this life. And when you're not following it, you'll feel like, yo, I'm out of alignment or I'm out of whack. So I do think that there are some people that are meant to really dive into their intuition and use it for some type of support. And, and this doesn't have to just be in psych as a psychic. Maybe this is somebody who is, I don't know, like a prophet or something. But I feel like everybody does have a purpose to follow. I believe some people are meant to use their ability to channel. And I believe other people have other divine abilities that they're meant to use as well. Yeah, I found fascinating that, that we're talking about intuition. We're also talking about growth and voice and purpose, right? All these things seem to connect to a point like, yeah, we we're saying that the culture we're living in tries to make the mold of how a person should be, right? Like work a nine to five, study, do this and that. But to a certain degree, even though we all have the same tools when we're born, like everybody has their senses or whatever, there's a point where we want to be ourselves, right? We want to write our own poetry, our own voice, or have our own experiences and use those to create something, whether it's psychic or whether it's writing or whether it's being a doctor. It, that's a point where you have to say like, I cannot bottle it up and I have to be where I want to be because it's, you were saying it's within us, it's trying to get out, right? I think that there's definitely a lot to what you said, Brian, about you know a person who becomes a social worker, like the example that you gave, they already kind of know that that's something that they wanted to pursue in their life. And, you know, knowing a little bit about your family background and all of that, you know, at what point did you say, you know what, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a poet and I want to be a uh, espiritista. You know, what? when did that click for you? Oh my gosh, it, it took it took time. It took a lot of time. Uh, I, I think that I can't think of one specific moment where it fully clicked, but there were different clicks. Uh, during when during my writing, like I was definitely exploring like what even my queerness meant when I wasn't given a space that I was able to express it in. And I, you know, my parents did the best they could. They didn't know like how to even like raise me, like because they were never raised to like even think that that could be a possibility to have a kid who's queer. So it's like. I had to really learn so much on my own. And I think that writing was this space where I was safe to explore my sexuality. I was safe to explore what even like what I want to do with my life. Like writing felt to me, honestly, like it was, it was starting to call me out on things in a loving way sometimes, but also in a stern way. And I think that's the beauty of art, that art is so introspective. So for me, when I... When I was in the still arts, I remember that I was in my undergrad. So I was I was finishing my undergrad. Then I decided right before I finished, let's go to grad school, um, get my MFA in writing. I went to New York, um, went to Sarah Lawrence College for my MFA. And I remember just feeling like I'm not done with my writing. And if I just graduate, I don't I just had an intuitive feeling like, yo, I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dim it down with the poetry or I'm gonna, I don't know. I just feel like I wasn't gonna live in alignment. Like something just told me I'm supposed to go. Yeah. And the first click for me was like poetry mattered because I felt like my voice mattered. And sometimes you can get by in life if if your voice was never given a space, you can go by in life, like kind of living like, all right, like I'm not really gonna know my inner calling, like that's fine. And it sucks, but some people were just not given these resources. So I feel like this this program definitely introduced me to poetry, which was a resource for me to figure out what is it even that I want? Who, who is it even that I am? So that clicked for me. Then it clicked for me like, I don't want to end this relationship. And I'm still young. I was in my early 20s. I was like, yo, let me go to, let me go to grad school. Like, let's just do this. Mm -hmm. 
So I did it, and I think that it was over there um, when I was in New York. And yo, I, this is the craziest story. The first time I ever remember starting to hear like ancestors, because I, I definitely connect with ancestors, and I know that that's something that's growing in, in collective spaces, especially in POC, by BIPOC collective spaces, ancestral connections, which I'm glad for. I started hearing my ancestors. The first time I heard them so loudly was when I visited Sarah Lawrence. I remember just being like, yo, I have no idea how I'm going to do it in New York by myself. Like, I, I, I didn't know how I was going to do it socioeconomically. I was just like, how am I going to survive? I'm on my own. I don't know anybody. And I just heard these voices say like, and it was different figures. I, I heard these voices. They were just like, this is going to be the hardest thing you're going to do. This is not going to be easy. It's going to be very uncomfortable, but this is where you're going to grow the most. And this is where you're going to have the most rewards. And I just was like, all right, like I surrender, like I, I don't have a choice. Like it's either I have an easy life where I play it safe, but eventually I'm going to live a regret and be in, and be in my version of what be a purgatory just for me. Like, I don't know. I feel like I was meant to be creative. I was meant to be like myself. And I think that me being myself has allowed other people to be themselves. So I don't know. I'm grateful for who I am. And I, I'm glad I followed my path. This was supposed to be my path. And it was difficult, but something clicked in me when I heard that, like, okay, I'm supposed to go to Sarah Lawrence. When I was in my MFA, and I I, I don't want to say like anybody watching who's thinking about getting their MFA, you have to do it or you don't have to do it. I don't want to be a proponent or disappointant. Uh, I think there's pros and cons or op opponent or proponent. Um, there's pros and cons. All I would say is the, the one thing I could give credit for is it was a space where you're expected to write a lot. And I was writing a lot very quickly and pulling out things very fast. And through that heightened, intensified time of writing, that's when I started hearing voices when I was writing. And I was like, yo, I'm going crazy. And I started writing and I wrote, I am going crazy. And then I started writing and I heard a voice say, write this. Um, th there's something called intuitive writing. And this is what it is when you start channeling when you're writing. And sometimes for people who write or paint, like out of nowhere, you're just in the flow. You're not even thinking anymore. You're just messing around. You're like, yo, I'm just vibing. I started vibing and I heard you thinking that it's crazy to hear voices is the colonized voice within you, the colonized mind within you. And that's when I was like, okay, I, I, I closed the books for a little bit. I was like, I don't know what to say. But yeah, writing is a strong portal. Yeah. yeah, your story right now totally reminded me of a time where I think I was like 20 years old um, and I was still in my undergrad too. And I started practicing that a lot where it was more just stream of consciousness writing the first thing that came to mind. And um, eventually I got pretty good at, at just releasing and letting go and, you know, getting into the flow. And, um, and I think that was when I had my moment where I was just like, okay, this is, this is actually what I'm meant to be doing. I'm meant to be writing and I'm meant to be pursuing it to whatever end it takes me. And, um, it's interesting to hear that you had a very similar experience. Um, and I remember when you went to Sarah Lawrence, you know, and the conversation that we had before you went to when you were considering applying. And I remember telling you also because of my really negative experience at CalArts, I, I remember telling you, you know, don't feel like you have to do this. But if you want to do it, you know, do it in a way that suits you. I do remember mm -hmm. saying that. And um I remember I think it was like maybe your first month or so there and uh, you reached out to me and and you just kind of were were asking for my advice about, you know, continuing. And and I remember telling just encouraging you to to pursue it um, in, in the way that worked for you. And um, and I'm kind of curious to hear because, you know, after that, we didn't really talk as often, but. What were some maybe key moments outside of the one that you just described that told you, yes, this is this is the path that I meant to take when you were there at Sarah Lawrence? Well, one thing that I'll say for anybody watching is that I think that MFAs will give you a there, there's this expectation for a lot of people that, oh, if I go to an MFA, that's going to be where I work on a book and I'm going to have a book ready. 
I'm going to take it straight up. That's not how it really works. Like, you moral case, that's not the point. It's usually a two-year program, sometimes, like, three-year programs. But, yeah, there's no real... I don't want to say you're not, I don't want to discourage anybody and say you're not going to have a book done, but I would say what you will get is finding your style, finding your voice and allowing just things to stream out. And out of nowhere, you're just collecting things and being like, okay, this is what this is. This is what this is. This is what this is. So I would say on the pro side, like what I feel like my MFA helped me with was understanding like why even like poetry in the first place. And mm. I, I feel like there's this, this notion that, okay, to do this, there's this like outcome that has to be produced. And for me, honestly, I think that that wasn't really what I got. Like what I got was really knowing who I am through the art of writing. And that's something that I feel like is priceless. Like I could walk knowing who I am. Some people can't. That's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah, it is definitely. Um, it's it goes back to we're talking about like uh, the intuition of, of how do you get it right? What's the point that you have to to basically have a couple of choices to make, right? And I think the again, I take bad choices, so I tell my intuition is not always the correct one. But the good thing about doing that little intuition following is that you took the decision even if it leads you to a bad path or anything it's your own right so you can take that as your responsibility right like saying i took this decision but it was mine to take so i am the result because i took it not somebody else's mm. decision right so i think that's the important thing to do whatever you want to do even if it doesn't leave you to the, your expectations or the social expectations, but at least you are where you want it to be, right? For better or for worse. <laughs> I also feel like intuition is a lot of surrender. Like you gotta surrender to that like inner voice within you. Like almost like again, like when you're just channeling or in the flow state with creativity, like you have to surrender to it. It's not about what looks right, what feels right, what sounds right. It's about like what feels like a calling bigger than you is just telling you to do and i would say even in my life like when i look back at certain things like even when i look back at my mfa sometimes some days i'm like yo i'm glad i did it some days i'm like yo these student loans are crazy mm -hmm. but i have to like look at things from a higher perspective and sometimes what i see as a quote-unquote mistake in due time i feel like the things that sometimes we have a lot of remorse over or like, you know, like semi scold ourselves for or cringe over like in due time, we understand like everything did have its reason and everything did have its sort of value within it. Like, even if we don't see it all the way, like, I don't want to get all, all nature-y, but like one time I remember like I saw trees that fell when I was walking and like, there's still things growing out of a broken tree. Like there's still plants and organisms growing, fungi growing out, like, out of a tree that's technically dead. And that just told me, like, yo, like, even when I think I ruined something or I've messed up in life or I made a mistake, life is still blossoming from that. So there just has to be a point where we have grace and compassion for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's always something you can do even with a broken glass, right? Like, it's how yeah. you take it, how you take the defeat or the failure, right? You have to see, like, am I going to cry about it or going to use it to do something better from it, right? So, And I there's think... always lessons and there's always applied wisdom, too. And it's like, I only think a mistake is a mistake if it's a repeated thing. Yeah, we learn from that. That's part of the group. That's why at least, like, oh, I want to see this, this guy again because I want to see... How time has affected him, and I see that you're you're taking this path and all these lessons and growing from them. And yeah, talking about growing, like uh, the the thing that we're doing for uh, our blog um, right now, we have a theme that's good and evil, and it just when the um, Luis basically came out with uh, Angie and me about this new theme, it kind of came back to me like a. 
um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And again, I always say like, not the movies, because the movies definitely don't represent the book, <laughs> in my opinion, right? Uh-huh. And so it always brings me to like this blurry line between good and evil, basically like the doctor or the scientist uh, creating these basically living thing and not taking the responsibility for it. And the monster mm-hmm. also taking revenge for not getting that, what he deserved, mm-hmm. and taking innocent people with because of the revenge, right? And as well as the good thing, right? Like the, the pursuit of trying to do something scientifically great for the world, right? For humanity. And the other one's mm-hmm. the pursuit of happiness and to be accepted. So all these blurry lines that these characters are ha- having to go through. So my question to me is, uh, to you basically, is like, what are your thoughts in good and evil? I feel like it's never a clean cut. Like things can be blurry. Like sometimes people do bad things with good intentions in mind. And it's like some people think that, what's the word? Like the ends justify the means or sometimes people do bad things when they didn't, like, again, like they meant something good. And it's it's one of those things where I think that everybody here has a creative side and a destructive side. And we have all like used our destructive side in one way or another. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's more verbal or more emotional. And maybe you know sometimes we have learned like all right, I I put too much heat into a situation or too much heat into something, and now I have to learn like temperance. Like I have to learn how to balance it. I think that there's a time and place to be giving. There's a time and place to be compassionate, and there's also a time and place to be like okay, like this isn't sustainable. Or this is where I have to apply more of that, like, I guess, destructive side of me. I, I think that good and evil can be sort of like flawed too, because it, it's kind of based on society and also like based on whose agenda. Like some people will say one thing is good, while some people will say, no, it's bad for this reason. So good and evil is kind of like up to the person to decide. And I don't think that we as a society will ever fully agree over what's good and evil, of course. Like, how do I say it? We we all in theory, right, we'll say like, well, hurting somebody is bad, but then we'll have wars and then people will justify why we have a war. So it's like, I don't think humans are ever going to like necessarily un- agree on what's really good or what's really evil. It's always going to be in fluctuation. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons we decided not to put like good versus evil when we're coming up with a theme. Because I, I think mm-hmm. it's always the perspective to me, like like the predator and the prey, right? Like who is the victim, right? I think it's always part of nature. Like you're saying, sometimes force and destruction is necessary, right? Like the volcanoes are necessary, right? And sometimes gentleness and calmness are necessary. So it's just who's viewing which one is which one, right? Yeah, I, I guess there's so many different cases, like, there's people who are like definitely malicious and are intentionally malicious. And it's like, there's certain situations where somebody didn't mean harm, but they cause harm. So it's like, I guess like, there's no, I would say good and evil isn't clean cut. Like there's definitely people or diff- actions that come from a lot of evil. There's a lot of actions that come from a lot of good, but I don't think that anybody's ever fully in one way or another. I don't think everything is ever one way or another. I don't think like anybody sits on one side of the spectrum over the other, but that doesn't mean that, you know, like, I don't, how do I say it? That doesn't mean that if somebody, like if we're talking about like victim versus like somebody who or a predator, like, yeah, like obviously like there's situations where like, that's, you should not have done that. Like that's straight up evil. Um, But I guess another situations, right? Like for example, um, if somebody's trying to give counsel to somebody and it's from a very biased perspective, but in their perspective, that's good. One person will see that as good versus one person will see that as evil. So again, I feel like it's kind of complicated. I don't think there's ever like a one definition for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, I think, I think part of the, uh, the deliberate nature of the way that we framed the theme for this, this, uh, current issue is you know it's good slash evil you know in Mm -hmm. some ways i look at them as almost like 
two sides of the same coin. You know, it's things are never completely black and white. You know, there's always that gray area. There's a spectrum. And I think yeah. in the whole conversation that we've had up to this point, it sounds to me like there's a lot of uh, spectrum, you know, in all the different mm. things that we've been discussing. And, you know, that's a, a, an, an interesting uh, point of view to have. Um, my question for you, LeBrian, is like in your current practice as a as a spiritual healer and and everything, you know, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you have been encountered by a person that is uh maybe you know malicious or has malicious intent? Oh, absolutely, yo. Like the spiritual community has some fanatics, uh, some people with very strong agendas. Uh and I would just say, like, there's always hurt behind all of that, to be honest. Like, there are people who will give the spiritual path, the the mediumship path, the spiritista path. They will give them the bad PR where everybody has the heebie-jeebies now. Nobody wants to go forward. And I don't blame people. I never tell people, you have to do this. I always tell people, look, if you want to come and do this, let's do this. If you don't, we don't have to do this. Like, And I always tell people, like, the door's open. That doesn't mean I'm asking you to walk in because I know that there's a lot of fears and there's a lot of misconceptions of what spirituality is, what even lighting a candle is, because people light candles all the time. People light can candles at Catholic churches, but it's not bad. But if somebody does it in their own private practice through a more indigenous lens, like, oh, now it's bad. However, there are people who, you know, in the same way that they can use their words for harm. Some people want to use this this sacred work for harm. And it's it's one of those things where I I, I think that it, it just comes with the territory, to be honest. And I just have to do my part in representing that, okay, like that's always going to be there. I, I'm not going to be able to ever like say, yeah, spirituality is always going to be clean and clean cut and it's going to be used for good or for beneficiary purposes because i would be painting a false lie and i wouldn't be really preparing people i will have to tell people the truth like yo there are some practitioners out there who are not going to have the best intentions and you yourself just have to have the alertness and i'm just going to show you what my flow is like what somebody who is really trying to do their best for integrity is like and that's all i can give you i can't control what's outside of here but within this space like you're going to be good. You're going to be taken care of. Like, and I will always check in to make sure if that's true or not. But yeah, definitely have bumped into spiritual people who could really fall on one end of the, in the extreme. And then people see that and then they're like, yo, I don't want to mess with this. And I'm like, yeah, they gave us bad PR. I'm not even mad at you. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned this because um, it was part of the things that I wanted to, to get to know. First of all, I'm not an expert, so I don't know so much about this. So I know there's a lot of things for this spiritual uh, world, and what are the things that you use? It's like um, cards, rocks, um, planes, uh, uh, potions. I don't know. What are the yeah. things that you use, and what is your process? All right, I use a lot of different things. Uh, mm -hmm. I, just, I move real quick. So I have candles. I mean, every candle has a different energy. So pink is a lot for like joy, festivities, love, self-love, harmony. Um, the candle doesn't even matter. Honestly, the objects matter, but they don't matter. Like they matter in the sense that they're an extension of our will. And I always tell people, don't get caught up in it. Don't think that if you're going to get a candle or you're going to get a certain crystal, it's going to magically do everything for you. It's your engagement and it's the breath that you put into this the same way that when, you know, you could have all the cool art supplies in the world, but if you're not creating, it really doesn't matter. You could have all the talent in the world. If you're not creating, it doesn't really matter. So I do have candles. I do have crystals. I, I do energy healing with them. I have a bunch of different statues in my home. I can get some in a little bit if y'all want. Um, I use different tarot decks for divination, but in all honesty, like these are powerful tools. I love them. They enrich the experiences. They're also very visual, so they help me with my business. If I'm having a storefront somewhere, people like the crystals. Crystals are are like crystals have purpose though. Like they're they're made from earth, and each one has its own specific properties, its own specific ways of supporting us in our in our human evolution. So I'm not gonna knock them down, but I would just say like what matters more so than everything else 
is the intention behind everything. And we ourselves, we we put energy into these things, into these crystals, into herbs, into potions, let's say, right? Into candles, even into tarot with what are we going to do with this? Are we using this for what reason? Intention is everything in spirituality. Even like when when I when I when I do a reading for somebody, my intention from the beginning is I don't want to waste their time because I know what it's like to have my time wasted. I don't want to waste their money because I know what it's like to not like to not have my money valued. So I come in being like, I want to be treated. I want to treat people how I want to be treated. I want to give a service how I would like to receive a service. And I want people to come back. So that means that my intention before I even get all these objects together is to make sure it is a value and it is a service. So I work with these different things. I have different spiritual statues for different spirit guides I work with, things of that sort. But I feel like even then, like to connect with spirits, you don't even need the statues. The statues are more representative of your connection with them. Like what, where, where really it's all at, yo, is in your heart and in your spirit. Thanks. And before I move to the next question that I have, uh, first, where can people find you and your services? So maybe we can put in the screen. Uh, maybe where, you have yeah. an event. Bring it on. <laughs> cool. So I do different events in New York City. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. I do different bar gigs. I do clubs. I, I, I love being in New York doing this because like there's a space for it. Um, I'm also in New Jersey. I read at different shops. I'm always moving around. So I would say like following me on Instagram would be your best bet. I'm Astro Poppy, A-S-T-R-O-P-A-P-I on Instagram. I also do like informal, I mean, I do formal, excuse me, spiritual videos on my YouTube channel, mm -hmm. Astro Poppy on YouTube. Yeah, I would just say you can find me there. I have a website, theastropoppy.com. But Instagram is your best bet. Quick and easy. You see all my stuff. Everybody has Instagram these days. Excellent. That's see people go and check it out. And again, talking about this, last time we were talking with one of our People that maybe you know her as well, but I just don't like na to name people. Just gonna say somebody was having a bad luck situation, like an accident happened here, some family member there, some work problem, her car broke down. I don't know, Spider-Man didn't save her, you know, things like that. So my question to you, what do you think about the Olympias? Because that's what we were talking last time, like, oh, you need Olympia. What is your thoughts on Olympias? Basically, oh, no. Olympias are freaking legit. Olympias are very mm -hmm. powerful. Olympias come from herbal shamanism, and this can be seen in Mexican curanderismo. This is also can be seen in Santeria, as well as other different spiritual practices. But Olympias are the applications of healing herbs and connecting with them to help somebody alleviate energy. The most common like limpia that anybody could do at home, which isn't an herb, is to just do the egg cleanse, which is to get an egg. You move it all around you. You want to crack it and flush it. Some people like to put it in a cup to see like threads, to see what's going on. The threads really will tell you a lot. I personally don't want to look. I just want to get it over with. So like, I'll just crack the, the egg, um, crack the yolk, flush it down. I'll throw the eggshells in the toilet and call it a freaking day. I mean, in, in the trash and call so it a no breakfast. Day. Yeah. So <laughs> I, like, that's one thing you could do. There's also like limpias that are done with different herbs, such as like rosemary is very powerful. Mint is very powerful. And each one, when it's moving through your body, even if you just get yourself flowers, yo, something you could do at home is just get yourself white flowers and move them through, through your energy. And that in itself is a cleanse because what, these elements of nature are doing these properties of nature. And I will say every herb, every flower is a spirit. These spirits of nature is they're release, they're releasing what doesn't need to be on you, but they're also implanting their own like soft energy. That's why, like, you know, giving flowers is an expression of love because flowers carry energy to them. When you put flowers in your home, it, it definitely adds like this sort of like volume to to the ambiance of your home, too. That's cool. You know, the past several years now, I've been uh, participating more in doing limpias and specifically the practice of uh, burning sage and burning cedar and doing smudges. Um, and I think that, you know, there's obviously certain like environmental things, especially with wild sage, you know, and the over, um, uh, what's it called? Harvesting of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for like our, our ancestors and people who are 
genuinely using it in the way that it was intended to be used you know i think that there's a threat there because now it's become trendy to sage a home but um you know i think that there's there's a lot to what you're saying brian and if there was one thing you know whether it be smudging doing the limpia that way you know is there anything that that you would recommend that you personally do to protect yourself and to protect your spirit i would say before like, you answer what? sorry before you answer yeah. what's smudging well, uh, when you're burning sage or like oh that's a smudging oh, okay yeah when the smoke is just moving around uh first and foremost you can also do like you can get a cauldron and you can light like resins. I think resins are also a better alternative. Like there's copal, there's frankincense, there's dragon's blood. And each one has its own spiritual property to it. Like dragon's blood is if you're trying to banish some stuff, like, I don't know, you have a visitor and then the energy just gets all dry. Like you try to banish, you, you burn some dragon's blood. You want something that's more purifying. Some frankincense is nice. Some, some copal is nice. That's why when you go to a Catholic church, like, yo, it always feels so light in there. You always feel good because they bur they're burning these resins 24 freaking sevens. So there's definitely a science to it. I also believe in the power of sound bowls and sound healing. I use sound healing a lot in my work. I also use sound healing over my own energy. And I clear with that. I do walk on my crystals. I know I was just saying in the beginning, intention is everything, this, that, and the third. And it's true, but I also stay strapped with my stones. Like, I always have stones on me just to ground me. But even then, like, I have my own routine. Like, if I go out and I'm around too many people, when I get home, I'll do a salt scrub on myself real quick. And I'll shower real quick or I make sure like, all right, I already wore that shirt. I'm not going to wear that shirt again. Like I only wear clothes once and then I got to wash it. Not because of, oh, it's it's dirty or whatever, but I'm just like energetically, it's carried stuff. So water is a purifying element. I definitely, you know, shower, shower often. Like I shower in the mornings. I sometimes shower at night. If I feel like I picked up too much stuff, I'm like, uh-uh. Like before I go to bed, this is going to be off of my body. Yeah, for those people who are maybe like not too much into these or that, I I think it it goes with like intention they were saying, and everybody has certain types of rituals, right? Like, and a ritual helps you to get into a state of mind where you flip that kind of bad. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say just energy. I just say maybe a thought you had that you cannot leave behind. You know, the stress that you have. Those are things that are going to help you, right? At least change your mind and focus on something else and change the look of perspective. That's another theme that we're exploring in other classes, perspective. Once you change the perspective, you end up with different solutions or different mind state. And a mind state is basically some somebody who is already stressed out or feeling bad. If you switch that and change to a different feeling, definitely helps. So if if it's rocks, if it's tarot or, or you're coughing in the morning, go for it and do it, right? Like, that's, that's pretty nice. Yo, the, the spiritual folks going to be like, they're not rocks, they're crystals. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I also feel like, I don't know, when you light a candle, right? Like, it, it's, it's a reminder, too, of you, what, you, what, you, what matters to you. It's a reminder of hope. It's a reminder of faith. And it's like, these customs are symbolic. And yes, like, these tools are also powerful at the same time. So it's like there's this marriage between these elements that are physical and also like what, what we put into it, which is our desire for better outcomes and a better life. And I think when we do smudge it, there's this sense of empowerment of like I have control over my energy and over my space. Like it has a symbolism to us that's like, OK, like, no, like my energy matters and I'm doing this to let myself know that my energy is valuable and I think that there's a subconscious rewiring and from that you're just like, all right, like now you're starting to care more about what do energetic exchanges feel like when you're talking to somebody? Do you feel more drained when you're talking to somebody? When somebody touches you like on your shoulder, or pats your shoulder, does your energy feel off from that? Because that's happened to me. I'll be picking up too much stuff from people. If I'm walking to a space, do I feel more drained now? Do I feel like I need to like smudge now? Like now my mind has changed where once you start doing these cleansing rituals, you start learning how to value your energy. And you also start learning how to navigate spaces that are supportive, people that are supportive for your energy, 
even lifestyle choices, maybe even health choices that are supportive for energy, and which ones are just bringing your energy down on a lower vibration. So I think that it does do something where by doing these rituals, it's a reminder for us that our, our energy is sacred and so are our wishes for a better life. Like everybody here is trying to improve their life. Everybody here wants a better life, no matter like what your circumstances are. We all always seek improvement as people. Definitely. Yeah, that's that's a fact right there. Wow. <laughs> well, Brian, you know, I think, uh, I mean, just remembering what it was like when I first met you, you know, to seeing you today, man, I cannot stress to you how much, you know, I, I just admire you, you know, I feel like I learned from you, you know, and, and I'm so proud of you, Brian, I, I couldn't, I don't know if I could ever express it enough, you know, so thank you. Yeah, I really do wish you, you know, all the best. Um, and, you know, just as like, a, I guess, a final like, thing that you might want to add, you know, is there any uh, event that you have coming up in the month of March or the end of April of uh, February that people should be on the lookout for? So just one thing I want to say before that is that I feel like, honestly, when I saw you doing your full-time business with Stymie Love, um, with your art projects, with your poetry, and also with DSTL Arts, I think that also got me into that mindset very early on of like, you really could become a creative entrepreneur if you really want it bad enough. And I feel like, especially in the age, like when I decided to go full-time with this, I was in a time where I was like, yo, I'm watching people on YouTube, like just becoming gamers and making money off of this. Like the possibilities are there. The only difference is that a lot of people who have a lot of success in doing a creative job or a freelance job is that a lot of them have parents who are supportive or they have more resources like that were passed down from, from them generationally based on, you know, factors that we cannot control. Mm -hmm. And for me, coming from immigrant parents, like I did the, the most like devastating thing I could do, like... I did the thing that everybody would think was crazy as hell. I did the thing where everybody thought I was not going to be able to pull it off. And I feel like I seeing you as an example of, yo, I really see my my project with DSTL Arts, my vision for it with raising this nonprofit as something big. And I remember I was one of the first students. I was I was hyped hearing like you expanding and you doing your stuff. I think that just brought me into a mindset of like, yo, if you really want this, you can really have it. And I, I, I'm grateful to have that model because to me, when, once I was ready, I was just like, well, I saw him do it. And I was like, well, I could do it myself. And yeah, like I do this full, like full time, yo, like I do events, I do gigs, I do this remote as well. A lot of the work is online and it's been amazing. So I, I just want to say that first and foremost, like for anybody who's watching this, like whatever it is you want to do, if you really believe it, there's a freaking way to do it. Like there are gamers out there, y'all. There are video game players, like famous. There's sneaker heads mm -hmm. reviewing different sneakers, famous and making money off of this. There are anime people, like I love anime. So my anime watchers, like, like, yo, <laughs> think about everything you watch, like on YouTube, all those little reels you watch on Instagram, like all these little things. It's like, these people are making money from either the clicks, the ads, the likes, the shares all of that, we're generating money. Like the opportunity is right in front of you. You just got to change your mindset. So for anybody who's watching, if you want to do something online, you could really do it. You just have to believe in yourself enough to do it. It doesn't matter what it is. You want to sell like, like knitted clothes, like whatever it is, yo, you could really thrive in it. You just have to have the creativity. You have to have the self-trust. You have to have the trust of the vision and you have to follow the vision through even in its genesis, because in the beginning, it's not, it's not like, it's not suave. It's not sexy. It doesn't have swag yet. It's in its beginning stages. You're just giving it whatever life force you can give it so that it can sustain itself. Once it starts sustaining itself, you're even surprised. You're like, yo, I never would have thought this would have, like, yes, I thought it would have happened. I believe, but I never thought I'd get here. Like, it's one of those things where like on a spiritual level, I knew it was going to happen, but my, my mind, my rational mind, which is an overthinker, just like everybody else's. Like, I was like, hey, this is not going to happen. It happened. So I just want to tell everybody here, like, have hope in your dreams. Like, have hope in your vision. 
Well, I don't care what it is. Like, if you really believe in it, there's a freaking way, especially when we have social media right in front of us. Like, everybody's always complaining, yo, like, oh, this is taking up too much of my time. It's taking my attention span away. And it's like, this can be a tool for creation or destruction. It's just about how you want to use it. And for those of you who feel scared about putting yourself out there on social media, think the bigger picture. This is just a platform where you have a voice. What you do with the platform matters. You have your own power within the platform. Obviously, there's constraints with what you can do, what you can say, what's trendy. But that doesn't mean that your voice and whatever you're supposed to share or want to share, it doesn't mean that it's not going to go nowhere. And I will say, like, me, like, I was guided. I was ushered to share myself. I was ushered to be vulnerable. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know how I was going to be. And it brought me so much. And what it really brought me was community more so than anything else. Like, yes, it brought me business. Yes, it brought me, like, all these numbers, right, that I care about. But at the end of the day, what really mattered more is that it brought me to really powerful people who are fun, who are cool, who are awesome, who I like being around with. So... It brought me community, which is a fundamental human need that goes beyond, like, I just need to fill these numbers in. So I, I hope that I could just give some words of inspiration for anybody who wants to be a creative entrepreneur, like straight up, straight up. Now, in terms of what I'm doing, you could always just follow me on social media to find out. I'm Astro Papi, A-S-T-R-O-P-A-P-I. But I am going to be in LA mid-March. If anybody wants to do an in-person reading, I'm doing in-person readings mid-March in LA. Nice, nice. Well, hopefully we get yeah. to connect then when you're here. Uh, yeah, yo, I'm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we'll figure it out. I'll hit you up. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, Brian, I like I said, I don't know if I could ever articulate exactly how proud I feel of you, man. But thank but, you, yo. I mean, I'm I'm glad, I'm glad that I met you. That was all divinely meant, you know. Like, I'm glad I met you at that right time. I'm glad that poetry became this very powerful sanctuary for me. And it was like, you led me to the door to finding this sanctuary. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad that poetry helped me find my voice. But once you find your voice, it's like, you can't unhear it either. Mm -hmm. So now you get called out. Now you, now you gotta know what it's like to live in your truth and living in your truth. Y'all is, 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 I don't want to say it's a battle. It's a battle. Some days it's a dance. Some days, and it's also a victory some days. Like living in your truth is work, but it is the most rewarding thing you can ever really do for yourself. Preach. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, uh, yeah. Thank you, Brian. And you know, to to our listeners and watchers, definitely make sure you follow him at Astro Papi on uh, Instagram and on YouTube. Um, and of course, you know, give us the the like and the subscribe and follows as well at Distill Arts at D S T L A R T S. Um, those things are always much appreciated. I think, you know, we'll, we'll end it on, on that note. Um, you know, make sure you also follow Abraham at Abraham underscore photo world. And I swear I'm going to revive my, my own practice too at stymie love one. So, um, if in case anybody cares, <laughs> but we care. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Thanks again for joining us tonight. Um, it's been a genuine pleasure, Brian, and, and I really do look forward to, to seeing you when you're here in L.A. again. Yeah, absolutely, y'all. Let's get coffee. I'm down. Oh, All right, everyone. Take care, y'all. Peace. All right. Stay abundant, y'all. Later. Peace.